This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Okay, let's do this. Episode four, I believe it is, of the Wave in the Wheat podcast. CJ Moore of The Athletic is going to join us coming up in a bit. I always love talking to him. Become a buddy of mine over the years. One of the best hoop writers out there. So we'll talk to CJ, get his thoughts on this KU team. See if any of his opinions on this team changed after the three-game stretch down in Orlando. And get his thoughts on what we're going to open with, which is David McCormick. But... First, actually, let's get to the big picture. Those three games in four days down in Disney World, especially the loss to Dayton. Dayton was ranked, I think, about 120th in Ken Palm before that game against KU. It's probably the worst loss for KU in at least the past nine years. Some of this is subjective, but if you want to just go off Ken Palm rankings, the last time KU lost to a team ranked This low would have been 2013, that TCU game, the infamous Topeka YMCA quote by Bill Self after the game. When you look at eventual national champions, there's not a lot of precedent for them losing games like these. The last one I could find really was UConn 2014, the Shabazz Napier year. They lost to Houston. Houston went 17-16 and that year. They finished ranked 132nd on Kempom. That's the only team in the last 15 years to win the title after losing to a team ranked outside the top 100 in Kempom. Listen, I'm not saying to pack up shop, not suggesting that maybe uh, Ochai should shut it down for this season, start getting ready for the draft, and maybe Bill Self starts pushing out Zach Clements and KJ Adams' lineups a little more, but I would say those are two of the most electric players on this team, so who knows, maybe something worth exploring. But you get the point, right? Title teams don't lose games to Dayton. And you can go back over the years and find isolated incidents of this Kansas team from 15 years ago or this other national championship team from 12 years ago that had great seasons after losing head scratchers early in the season. That's fine. If you want to pick out the anomalies and make a case for why this could end up being a good thing or why it won't end up mattering, that's great and and maybe you're right. But historically speaking, there's just not a ton of precedent for great teams losing to really bad teams. I'm not saying that this Kansas team can't be a title team. But all you have to do is watch one or two games of Baylor or Purdue or Duke or Gonzaga, and you're going to immediately realize they have things that Kansas doesn't. Namely, one thing. 
and identity. So let's really simplify things here. Let's uh, get back to basics here on the Wave and the Weave podcast. You get an identity by identifying your strengths and playing to them. I think that's probably the simplest form of what an identity is for college basketball. Last year's Kansas team, for example, never really found much of an identity because they were never all that good at anything. They started playing really good defense by the end of the year. That was more so a product of a combination of two things. One of the best defensive head coaches in basketball and one of the best defensive players in basketball in Marcus Garrett. This year's team doesn't have an identity yet, but they're like most teams early in the season. They don't have an identity. But the difference is that we expected this team returning four starters, bringing in a first-team All-Pac-12 selection perennially, the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year in Remy Martin, to have that, to hit the ground running. But that hasn't been the case, and maybe it should make more sense than it really does right now. You've got Ochai playing at an All-American level. Nobody saw that coming. At least most people didn't see that coming. Christian Brown was awesome down in Orlando. Looks like he's taken a big step this year. I still think that things are really going to click for Remy, and when that happens... I think this team might have one of the top backcourts in college basketball. But the thing is, they kind of already do. KU's offense has been really, really good at times. And it's in large part to those three guys. They're taking the lion's share of this team's shots. And they're shooting at a really high clip. Which begs the question, I'm not the first one to ask it. Far from it. But I think it's worth posing once again. Why, with under a minute to play and up by one, did Bill Self elect to run a play for David McCormick? Why, when you need a bucket, do you drop a play for your least efficient offensive player? And I think the answer lies somewhere in between arrogance and hubris and stubbornness. Listen, I don't think that Bill Self ran that play to, quote, get Dave going. I have heard that theory floated out there a lot over the past couple of days. I think he ran that play because he's as good as any coach in the country at getting his big guys good looks inside. He has a set play. It's worked time and time again. He sees Dave and says, you're good enough. You may not be the best I've ever had, but you're good enough to get us one right here. I mean, some of the quotes you heard from Bill Self after the game, he did his weekly radio show, and he said, that should have been a layup. Jesse Newell wrote an article about it. It's a great piece. You should go check it out in the Kansas City Star. Effectively, what it broke down was the fact that this is not an uncommon set. They've run it a lot over the years. They ran it a lot last year. They were really successful running that set with Yudoka Azubuki. But what effectively happened was Remy Martin went Leroy Jenkins. He was a little bit late, ran to the wrong spot. That's why Dave caught it 10 feet away from the basket instead of getting an easy lay-in. All right, fine. That's fine. Remy Martin ruined the play. But it still doesn't answer the question as to why are you going to one of your worst offensive players when you need to have a bucket? Because if the answer is simply that I know this play works and I know Dave is good enough to get it for us, that still doesn't answer the dilemma, the question as to why you're not playing to your strengths. No matter whether Dave would have scored that bucket or not, 
And no matter what steps he takes the rest of this season, if this is a funk, if he can get back to playing at the efficiency level that he was playing in Big 12 play last year, it doesn't change the fact that that's never going to be the strength of your team. Like, going back to 2017, I'm not comparing anybody to Frank Mason, but we all knew very early on that team was going to belong to Frank. And you go to the Champions Classic, end of the game against Duke, needed a bucket, what do you do? You give it to your best player, and you let him go and get it. Ochai may not be Frank, but he's playing at an All-American level. Remy Martin is far from an All-American right now, and he's far from Frank Mason. But you brought that guy here because he can go and get you a bucket. Yeah, maybe you don't give the ball to the guy who's not running offensive plays correctly, who's uh, showcasing poor shot selection. I get all of that. But what is it about? Is it about getting the win versus Dayton? Is that important to you, or is it about growth? Is it about, hey, we can suffer the loss here if it helps us win in the long run? Dave gets crushed and has gotten crushed and is getting crushed right now because he literally always has the ball. He might be the most noticeable player in Kansas history. You always know where he's at when he's on the court because whether it's a great thing or a bad thing, you always see him. You always notice what he's doing. And that's the problem with Dave is that it feels like he's always either doing the best thing you can do or the worst thing you can do. He is either getting a bucket or missing a shot or turning it over. I mean, you look at some of the usage percentage numbers and they are off the charts. Like he is up there with the best players we have ever seen under Bill Self. You're talking about junior year Thomas Robinson, senior year Frank Mason, senior year Devontae Graham, some Perry Ellis years, the Diedrich Lawson years. It's incredible. Like, you're talking about the best players, the guys who Bill Self effectively turned to and said, you are our offense, here you go, we're getting you involved on every play. For some reason, that is how David McCormick has been utilized, not just this year, but last year as well. And we saw it at the beginning of the season last year, and then all of a sudden, conference play came around, and he turned into a different guy. And we sort of hoped and prayed that he was going to be that same guy for Kansas this year. And early on, it's looking exactly how it looked early on last year. We know what's going to happen when David McCormick touches the ball. It is either going to be a shot or it's going to be a turnover. It's going to be the best thing that can happen or it's going to be the worst thing that can happen. He will make a shot or he will miss a shot or he will turn it over. That's effectively how you get to usage percentage. And unfortunately for him, the usage percentage does not correlate to high offensive efficiency as it does for most of the other guys who have been utilized in the way that he has. So regardless of how good of a set it is, regardless of the efficiency that you have had when you have run that play in the past, the fact still remains that this guy is who he is going to be. And this team is who they are going to be. And it's never, ever, ever, at the end of the day, going to be a team that needs David McCormick to be great, to be great, because you have enough other things going. I kind of wonder how they would utilize him and how we would talk about him if he weren't a McDonald's All-American, if he weren't a top 40 player coming out of high school. But that's not the case. And instead, he's been somebody who has been highly utilized in a sometimes head-scratching manner over the past couple of years. It's kind of a perfect storm. It's a head coach who's going to get his big guy touches, and it's a big guy who, while at times will have his moments, at other times will look severely overmatched and underskilled. I don't blame Dave. 
I don't blame a kid for wrecking the car. I blame the parent for giving them the car keys. And if this team is going to find an identity, they have to start playing to their strengths. And no matter what happens over the next couple of months, their strengths are never going to be giving the ball to number 33. All right, let's get to it. Let's welcome on this week's guest. He is one of my favorite writers, a good friend, one of the best college basketball writers out there. You can check out his work at theathletic.com. Here's my conversation with CJ Moore. Okay, CJ, so big picture KU right now. We just saw them play three games in quick succession, and I know these early season tournaments don't mean anything in the long run, but in the moment, they feel big because you get to see a lot of the same team over and over again against uh, different levels of competition. KU goes 2-1. They lose that game to Dayton. They beat Iona. Overall, was there one opinion that you had about this team that changed significantly after watching them play three games in four days down in Orlando? I don't think so. I think that the defense, their defense was a little bit of a concern coming in. I don't think they've defended at a super high level yet. And I think that was a problem during the three days, specifically second half against Dayton, where I don't think they were engaged and their effort level wasn't at the, where it needs to be. And that's, you know, you can, you can, describe that loss a bunch of different ways. I'm blaming it on a bunch of different things, but that's kind of how I would basically summarize it is I think the biggest thing was their defense wasn't at the level that it needs to be. And I don't think it's a thing where they can't like fix it. Like if you remember last year, they were just an okay defensive team, pretty good to okay defensive team and then became elite midway through the season. So I think it's something that, that will get better as the year goes on. But I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I had um, other than like David McCormick continuing to struggle, um, which I'm not as maybe concerned as some people, Kansas fans might be. Okay. Are you not as concerned with David McCormick because you didn't have high expectations for him to begin with, or just because you don't think he moves the needle that much in terms of, you know, what this team can accomplish this year? Basically, because we've seen it before, <laughs> like this is basically just a replay of last year. So I think at one at some point he's gonna get better and and improve. The thing this season is, I I don't think his offensive production is as important as it was a season ago, just because they have more weapons and they don't have to play through the post as much as they had to last year, but. You know, that being said, I sound like Bill, so that being said, um, <laughs> I think at some point they uh, they need to figure, he needs to figure things out and he needs to be able to be reliable to, you know, get those seals and easy buckets that are such a big part of their offense every year. But I think there's hope. Like, he's gotten way better at sealing his man and positioning himself for those plays. He's just gotten where he gets off balance and – he's kind of got the yips. It's like in golf where he can't make any putts. Like he can't make any short, many short shots right now. And it's kind of all in his head, but I think he'll be able to work his way out of that at some point. Like, I just think he goes through these stretches where this happens for whatever reason. Christian Brown is a similar guy in that he also can kind of get in his own head 
sometimes, and he's gotten out of it a little quicker than David did. But I, I thought, you know, the the biggest glass half full takeaway from that tournament was like I think Christian Brown got right and started to play the way that I think the Kansas staff anticipated he would play this year. You know, the David McCormick conversation is funny because I think just given Bill Self's track record of always having really productive big guys, there's always this sort of built-in belief that if you've got a McDonald's All-American big guy who's stepping into a new role like David did last year, that you just expect him to be ultra-productive because you know he's going to get touches. So the conversation about him, it varies depending on where your expectations are. You're right. We've seen this before. He's basically doing exactly what we saw him do the first month and a half of last year, and then all of a sudden he turned it on and was really productive in conference play. So with with David, I guess the, the question becomes like, because I, I told myself this after like the first two games of this season, that he's going to have a really good stretch, and then I'm going to try and convince myself that, oh my gosh, this is one of the better big guys in the country. But I feel like I've just seen enough to know that that's maybe not who he's going to be. But just knowing that he does have some things going for him, mainly as good of a coach as there is in America and getting big guys in good positions to score, like, I'm just, I'm resigned to the fact that eventually he's just going to go on a run where he looks really good and, and they get what they need out of him. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's just set up so well around him. Um, I mean, there's there's, like you said, the only... I think the only coach in the country who does as good a job as setting up his big man to score with angles and, you know, get easy buckets is Matt Painter at Purdue, which has the best offense in college basketball right now. And, you know, Gonzaga right there too. So like those three teams are Kansas, Gonzaga, Purdue, I think are as good as it gets at setting up their big guys. And so, yeah, you know, it's, he's just got a, finish simple plays really and last year when he got confidence and people started double teaming him and stuff like he became a really good passer too and I don't think we've seen as much of that so far earlier this early this year but you know he dealt with like an injury thing this this summer and I, man I can't even remember what the heck his injury was it a foot um, he and he was on kind of a pitch count I think in practice early on and I don't know if that's still the case but for whatever reason, it's taken him a little bit longer to get going. And I think eventually, you know, he'll be closer to the guy that he was second half of last year. And I, I was, I was of the opinion last year, I never had been a huge uh, David McCormick guy. Like I, I just didn't think super highly of him and didn't know that he'd ever really get it going. Like he wasn't good at sealing his man and, and, you know, setting up those angles like Udoka was, like every Kansas big man basically is. But usually as you get older that in the KU offense that you figure that out and he did and he got a lot better. So like, you know, I wrote, I don't know if you remember, I wrote like an apology column to him. I do remember that. <laughs> during, during last season, I'd be like, you know, I didn't think you had this in you, but man, you did. And you're playing really well. And like, he was, he was one of the best players in the big 12 during that stretch. So um, I think to just write him off and say, you know, like, Hey, you need to bench him. That's, that's not right. Like they need to keep playing him because defensively they need him. Like they're a better defensive team with him out there and the, and the numbers will bear their out. Like they're getting crushed defensively when Mitch Lightfoot is out there. And so, you know, I think, I think McCormick eventually needs to 
be able to finish those shots. So self can trust him. And so he, his defense can get better, not to say he's a defensive star, but K's defense is better with him out there just because of his size and presence. I'm not even going to ask you uh, if about the rotation, at least in terms of like, will it change at all? Because it's David McCormick and Mitch, Le- Mitch Lightfoot. I mean, this endearingly is a cockroach. There could be a, a nuclear bomb uh, wiping out the entire Earth's population, and Mitch Lightfoot's still going to be playing 10 minutes a game for Kansas. So I know he's not going anywhere, but does that, that front court rotation, like, is it a concern at all for KU? Not necessarily in terms of like winning a bunch of games and getting a good seating for the tournament, but when you start to compare them to Purdue and Gonzaga and Duke and whoever you think the best teams are, does that lack of talent or depth in the front court become a concern at all for Kansas? Uh, a little bit for certain matchups, but I do think at some point you'll see some more Jalen Wilson playing the five and like Wilson was as bad as you can get against Dayton. So you didn't, you didn't see any of him at the five in that game, but you did see a little bit of it or at least him and KJ Adams out there together. The small, you know, the super small lineup in that, that game against Iona. And I actually thought, well, I don't think Jalen's line was that great. I don't even—I can't remember how many points he scored. Maybe two, four, something like that. Not a lot. I thought he played way, a way smarter game and actually like brought something to the table. Where you know it's taking him a little bit of time. You know, the Dayton game was a really, really poor game for him, and another reason why you know they lost because like they didn't get. I think he played 23 minutes that game and he was just bad. Like he he just wasn't in rhythm, was struggling to to know when to when to attack, when not to. So um it's it's really hard when you don't play, you know, even though he's been healthy all this time, like missing those games was significant and trying to work him back in was a challenge. And and like it's just it's just like with transfers. Like you can't just always snap your fingers and it's gonna work. Like it takes a little time. So I think maybe this t- Kansas team is is a little bit slower developing than some of his other self teams because there were so many new pieces to work in. But at the same time, like offensively, when you look at their numbers, they're they're doing pretty well so far, and they're they're pretty far along on that end. Even though there's some, uh, you know, McCormick struggling, Jalen Wilson not doing great so far. Um, Remy Martin kind of figuring out when to assert himself, when not to. Uh, you know, they've got things that are working out on that end too, but the numbers on that end have been pretty good to date. Yeah, just 13 points in the first three games for Jalen Wilson this season. And it's interesting because we always cite like returning starters for how much, you know, teams are bringing back. And KU brings back four returning starters. That sounds great. And it is. Like, I think that experience is going to pay off, but this team's just so much different than they were a season ago. You have Remy Martin. <laughs> as sort of this offensive initiator. Dewan Harris takes on a bigger role. Now all of a sudden, Ochai is a guy who can put the ball in the deck and go get his own shot that I'm not necessarily concerned. I'm just curious as to what that is going to mean for Jalen Wilson's role. And I don't think we've seen enough through three games to make any sort of like declarative statements as to what he's going to be. But how do you see his role changing? Because it's obviously going to be a little bit different than, than what we saw last season. I mean, I honestly think he'll, I, I think at some point they're going to get back to starting the four returners and a point guard, probably Remy. And I think he will play closer to what he played like last year, where it's 
attacking mismatches, attacking closeouts. I think he's going to be, you know, self talks so much about how they play faster with him. And I think he's going to be a rebound and go guy, um, you know, where he can push the ball and create and transition. Um, and, you know, the, the big thing for him, I think, is he needs to see a couple three balls go through because when that happens for him, then teams are going to close harder on him. And, and the best thing he does is, like, attack a closeout, attack mismatches. So I think eventually Kansas will figure out ways to utilize him and ways for him to be effective in the offense. And if you, you know, there were a few possessions in that Iona game where, where I think you saw some of that, where he was attacking to close out and making better decisions. And um, he's just got to pick and choose his spots and realize some games he might go for 20, some games he might score six, you know, but I, I think that's going to be that for a lot of the guys on the team. Like every time you think you figure out, okay, okay, the, the first guy off the bench or the first guard off the bench is probably going to be um, Coleman Lands, you know, and, like, he, he's their – man, he's such a good shooter. Like, he's going to get minutes. But then I thought in Orlando, I thought the best guard off the bench was probably um, Joseph Yusefu. So, like, <laughs> things can change game to game, and that's why I think it's such, been such a challenge for Bill Self to just, like, figure out his rotation and figure out who's good with who because they have so many different ways they can mix and match. And by January, he'll probably kind of settle on some things, but I think there's been more experimenting in these first two months, two months of the season than he typically does. Like typically by now he's, he's got it pretty figured out. And I, I don't know that he's got a, a rotation and, and mixes and matches how he wants to fix it. You know, how he wants to pair guys together. I don't know if he's figured that out yet. No, you and I have always laughed over the years about almost like clockwork. Every offseason, we'll talk about the team's depth and how, oh, wow, there's, you could see this team playing nine, nine or ten deep. It never, ever happens. And by March, mm -hmm. the rotation's usually down to eight, and that eighth guy is playing spot minutes situationally. You get into a tight game in the tournament, and you're probably going seven deep. And I look at this rotation right now, CJ, like, whoever the starting five is, like, whether it's Jalen Wilson who comes in for Dewan Harris, somebody goes to the bench, whatever. Well, we know one of that, that, that other guy is going to be playing basically starter minutes. I would assume that Mitch Lightfoot is still going to be the first big off the bench. Like, that's seven guys right there. So, like, whoever that, that, that eighth guy is, Jalen Coleman lands, Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yusefu, like, I just, I don't see a ton of, opportunity there other than being a guy who can come in and sort of get hot in situations and, and provide a boost off the bench. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a very much hot hand uh, ride. Who's been better at practice situation. I think it could change game to game, uh, but you know, may, maybe eventually somebody really settles in and wins that role. But um, it's so hard to say because all of those guys have had their moments and all of them have looked better at times than, than, the other and then it'll change, you know, the next week. So it's hard. I do think he's going to maybe, you know, the, the, the bench is, I think he's going to use his bench maybe more this year than he has in the past. But I do think once we get to conference play, you're going to see like CB, Ochai, probably even David, if David can get right, like those guys play at least 30 minutes and you're not seeing the bench play as many minutes. Um, but as far as like the backup five minutes, like eventually they might look at those numbers and see, man, we're getting waxed when life foots on the floor. Maybe we need to look at some other things and like, 
maybe KJ Adams should be the backup five. I, I don't like I. What what does Mitch Lightfoot give you besides the experience part that he doesn't give you? You know, and with a little more more athleticism. So, I, I still think there's a lot to to figure out with this team, um, but they can keep winning games while they're figuring it out. I think the the Dayton game was kind of a um, a surprise and just a, a be- perfect storm of them just relaxing and not playing defense. But I still think they're a pretty dang good team. How would you articulate like what you think is going on? And and I don't mean that to like insinuate anything like something bad is going on, but like what we're seeing right now with Remy Martin and and how he's sort of trying to fit in with this team. I think he's tried really, really hard to fit in. I, I think that he's tried to be unselfish as much as he can. And then sometimes his selfishness, not to say he's a selfish player, but sometimes his aggressive nature of his pass comes back in like the, the final minutes of that Dayton game. He took three shots that were maybe questionable and he made one of them. And, you know, I, I think there's some push and pull there. And then, you know, Jesse had a story on it from that Dayton game where the final, uh, possession where they go to to David like that was supposed to be a seal and layup and Remy ran to the wrong spot like Remy ran right underneath the play and screwed it up so I I still think he's learning the offense and there's it's just been an adjustment period for him and I think he's an important part to to what they will do for the rest of the season and, and will be important in February and in March because as much as Bill Self loves Dewan Harris, he can't shoot and he doesn't, isn't really a scoring threat. And you can really, you know, you really need that sometimes out of the point guard position. So um, there's going to be times probably where Remy's in the doghouse as, as we go forward and times where he's not always playing like self wants him to play, but in the end, like he needs them and he's just going to, you're just going to have to continue. He's going to have to continue to grow and kind of learn what Bill self wants. And I think he, at times he gets it and at times he doesn't. So, uh, Baylor looking like they're not skipping a beat despite everything they've missed. I know Texas had the, the early loss to Gonzaga. Tech hasn't played anyone, but they get to play, I think, Tennessee next week and then Gonzaga the week mm-hmm. after that. We'll find out how legit they are. How confident are you today that Kansas is the best team in the Big 12 this year? Uh. Not not super confident because (laughs) I think that Baylor, from what I've watched, is better. Just has better players. Uh, And KU has, like, KU's better. KU's better than they were a year ago. And the development of Ochai has been just massive. And I think KU's close to Baylor, but... Baylor is a little bit better and just that like Baylor's got, you, you know, let's, let's look at who's, who's got NBA players and who doesn't uh, Kansas NBA players. Ochai for sure. He's an NBA player. Okay. And th- this is a sim- simplistic way of looking at it, but sometimes it's worth looking at it this way. Right. Okay. So Ochai surefire NBA guy, right? Like the way he's playing, that's an NBA player. I think CB's a fringe, maybe NBA player. Jalen Wilson, probably fringe NBA player. And that's about it. 
Would you argue anybody else? No. No. So you no. got two fringe wings and a one surefire wing. All right, let's look at Baylor. I think Matthew Meyer is probably an NBA player. Um, the uh, the freshman that played at Sunrise, who okay, KU recruited really heavily. Brown? Um, help me with his name. You got it. Come on. Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown. Yeah. Probably, maybe a lottery pick. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Sohan, the kid they bring off the bench. In the preseason, they, they their staff was telling me that they thought he was their best NBA prospect. And I've had scouts say, yeah, I, I really like that guy. So I think those two, those three wings are, if not surefire, pretty darn close to surefire NBA players. Jonathan Chumwachachua yeah. has a shot to make it in the league. Um, and then, you know, the rest of their, their guards are all probably like G-leaguers. You've got Cryer coming off the bench, who just like last year was a nobody, and all of a sudden he's shooting like 50% from three. Yeah, yeah, and you can't fault that that guy didn't play last year because he was behind one of the best backcourts yeah. of the last decade. Um, so like their guards are good. Their guards kind of like Kansas are like not quite NBA guys. Cause they're not big enough, but they'll, you know, maybe some cups of the coffee in the league, uh, G leaguer type guys. So, um, anyway, like they've just got better all around talent than Kansas does. And they're defend, you know, what, what wins a lot of times in the big 12, Everybody figures out everybody's stuff. Everybody scouts the heck out of everybody. But the best defensive team is usually a good way to win. Baylor's the best defensive team because those wings and their bigs, like, they're just giant. And they can all, they're switchable and their defense is already really, really good where KU's trying to figure out their defense. And they just got better defensive weapons than Kansas does. So Kansas has Bill Self, and that is. And Oshai Baji's maybe the best player in the league so far. So, you know, those are good equalizers. But, um, yeah, if I had to pick today, I'm, I'm probably picking Baylor. I'm still not a huge believer in Texas. I want to see them playing some other teams because I thought they looked like garbage against Texas or against Gonzaga. Like, just really, really bad. Like, Gonzaga was really good, but, but Texas made the game really easy for them. And I don't trust their defense yet. I want to see them play some more games. And I don't trust their interior. Like, they're just not very big. Um, so I'm not sure about Texas. Like you said, Texas Tech, I want to see what they look like when they, they play some teams. But I like their talent. I think I had them fourth in the preseason. So I've, I'm, I'm a believer there. And they're putting up, you know, they're playing garbage competition. But their offensive numbers have been really, really good. Now, they don't have a point guard um, like a, you know, guy that you know is you don't know what they're going to do game in and game out from point guard I think so that's a question mark there but that's uh yeah that that group of four right there um it's hard to say I think Baylor's going to be top two it's hard to say how the other three will shake out at this point you just want to see a little bit more you know and the Baylor stuff is fascinating to me because and I'm going to set you up here because I know you were banging this the Scott Drew drum you have been for a while you were doing it all season last year and you certainly got the last laugh. So I know where you're going to go with this but it's fascinating because for the longest time I think people 
got so used to just viewing Bill Self in the context of the Big 12 as being the great equalizer and the thing that was going to give Kansas the advantage over everybody else. And maybe it still will. We'll see what happens in a couple of months. But this was supposed to be sort of the year where, okay, Kansas got right. They went out and found some missing pieces. Now they uh, resume their role at the top of the Big 12 throne. Meanwhile, Baylor has to replace virtually everyone. And they've got less experience. I mean, like they're, they're playing a bunch of dudes who were just like backup and ancillary roles with the exception of Matthew Meyer last year. Mm-hmm. And they are not missing a beat. And it just sort of feels like not that this is a slight in any way towards Bill Self, but that maybe that gap between he and all the other coaches in the Big 12 isn't as wide as as we thought it was because Scott Drew has sort of ascended to being another one of those dudes, like those elite-level coaches in college basketball who year in, year out, you should just expect to put together a top-10 roster in the country. Yeah, I think in-game coaching and making adjustments on the fly, Bill Self is as good as it gets. I think that creating a culture and getting guys to buy in, like Bill Self's also very good at that, but I think Scott Drew is 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 right up there with him there. And another, you know, big a big thing for them, and um, you know, your listeners can go back and, and read this. I wrote this story recently about. Scott Drew's coaching tree and the fact that, uh, you know, I think one big key to their success lately has been their staff hasn't changed for like five, six years. And they've learned how to recruit to what, how they want to play and to, to guys that just kind of fit their culture. And so I think they've got some guys, you know, they don't have a lot of selfishness or anything on that team. And they've just got, they've, just kind of know how they want to play and they've it's plug and play this year. I mean, they haven't taken a big drop. Now their guards aren't nearly as good as they were last year, but their wings are better and their bigs are the same bigs and they've gotten better. Like, you know, and, and they sound like they're somehow making it work just kind of like Purdue, like Purdue has two starting centers. Baylor has two starting centers. They don't play them together, both teams, and they're making it work. And, that that's that's really big and um you know th- those two centers have gotten better and then they're better at the fourth like mark vital was awesome but they're better at the four spot now and they're better at the three spot now they're the three four is kind of interchangeable right because a lot of times mm-hmm. we play three guards but they, they improved in their front court and while they took a you know they went back in their back court they're not quite as good like they're at two of the other three spots they're better so um yeah, I, I just think he has he's created a culture there of of, of working and unselfishness, and um, they've they've done a really nice job. Um, I, I think KU is going to figure some things out though, because like the the system with self it works. Like <laughs> so, the just you know a lot of times it matters how good are the pieces you got in there, and the KU pieces are pretty good, but the Baylor pieces are just the better at this point. Uh, can you tell people where they can check out more of your work and what you've been working on lately? I'm at CJ Moore Hoops on Twitter. You can find all my work at The Athletic. Uh, right now, this week, I am working on a story about Purdue's offense and what makes them awesome and how Matt Painter's kind of evolved, uh, changed his offense over the years. And um, they're the best offense in college basketball so far. And basically, I've just 
enjoyed the heck out of watching every position they play <laughs> this season and kind of figuring out why it's so good. Um, so that'll come out this week. And um, then I'll, you know, hopefully have something on the Jayhawks maybe next week. Not sure what, but uh, should, should have something going to that, that Missouri game. That scares me because you were doing this last year with Scott Drew and we know how the season ended. So um, feels like a Boilermaker <laughs> national championship could be in the works coming up here in a couple months. Oh man. Have you, have you watched them? No, I haven't. Oh, they're, they're pretty special. They're pretty special. I think, you know, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and a lot of times by January, I feel like I know a handful of teams that are, have a chance to win the title this year. I'll say those teams are Purdue. I mean, this isn't shocking anybody because these are the teams at the top, but Purdue Gonzaga, as much as it pains me to say this, Duke is right in there. Um, and uh, then outside of that, like we'll see how KU develops. KU might, might be in that conversation, but, you lose to Dayton, even as freaky as it was, like that's a little bit alarming. And, um, but yeah, those three teams I think are about as special as I've seen this year. Oh, and then, then Baylor's probably right there too. It, it, like at the net, maybe just a tier, just a, maybe a mighty minuscule tier below those three. Um, I'd, I'd put those four as the uh, the top, and I'm I don't know what the freak the what the AP poll is right now, but it's probably those four at the top right now. So it's not like I'm I'm uh, doing anything crazy, but like the other teams that I want to see, you know, what they'll look like in February, or like Kansas, uh, maybe Illinois, but I think Illinois is a wing away from being one of those contenders. Um, yeah, I don't I'm not a buyer in Texas. I, I just Maybe it'll come together, but I just don't see Texas being one of those teams. I'm glad you added that little nugget in here at the end of the conversation because I do think it's funny. Like it, it, We always talk about how games don't matter early in the season, and we won't be talking about them in March. But then again, you look at last year and you say, oh, we kind of knew we kind of knew around Thanksgiving like who the, the juggernauts were, and then we were treated to uh, an incredible national championship, at least in terms of a matchup. So... Uh, we'll monitor yeah. that, and maybe we'll have you back on later in the season to uh, to see how your predictions did. All right. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it, CJ. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Big thanks to CJ again. Check out his work at theathletic.com. We're going to have a really fun episode next week. Next Saturday, you've got Kansas, Missouri, the border war being reignited for the first time in nearly a decade. So we'll have a fun episode for you. That's coming next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes, Wave in the Weed podcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts can be found. And, of course, you can check it out at 610sports.com and on the Odyssey app. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 